Hello and welcome to From Paper to Podium, brought to you by the Sciences Sport Group, the world's leading premium performance nutrition company and home to the brands PhD Nutrition and Science in Sport. I'm Charlie Webster and I'm joined by my co-host, Professor James Morton, for the very last time this season. In this season, James and I have delved into a wide range of subjects within sports and nutrition with both an athlete and an expert so that we can apply their secrets of sports performance success to our very own fitness goals. This week, we are joined by the amazing Molly McCann. Molly, also known as Meatball Molly, is a flyweight MMA fighter currently competing in UFC. We'll get to the bottom of the Meatball reference too. Molly, we're so glad to have you on. We're really chuffed. Myself and James really both were looking forward to this and wanted to make sure and we got you. And also your last episode of the season. Am I? So, yeah, saving the best for last, right? Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know what? I think a good place to start is you've got a fight coming up soon. So tell us about what your training today looked like because you've just got it back in from training. I know the people listening, you can't see me face, but it looks rough. Like it's, <laughs> it's had a long day in the office. I'm fighting September 4th. It's moved to Las Vegas now. So we've got four big weeks of training left and the periodization, it's like this week, next week and the week after is like, you just want to shoot yourself in the face kind of days because they just, you get pushed past your limits kind of thing. And James will have seen me in the gym before and just come in like a zombie because I make sure I've built me camp with me tactical and technical is in the morning. And then the the VO2 max or the sprints or the weights. So the strength or the conditions at the night time where I don't have to think, I just have to go. So today I've had a um, sparring sprints and weights and my little legs are finished, guys. They are finished. <laughs> and it's like, it's proper character building. Like a Monday, Wednesday and Friday, typically for me, I'd have an hour striking um, fight simulation, an hour grappling si- simulation of my fight. So we can hear what she's going to be strongest at, how I can combat that, and then um, traps to put her in that work to hear rhythms and hair patterns. And then a Tuesday, Thursday is a bit more, put it into real reality in your sparring. And then when you're absolutely goosed, go and do your sprints. And then when you think you cannot take any more, go and lift all the weights. So it's just, <laughs> it's absolutely rough, but I wouldn't change, it for, wouldn't change it for the world. In lockdown, I was supposed to be on UFC London and that was the last thing to get cancelled. And I'd done 15 weeks for that. And give like it cost me about ten grand the camp and give me life and soul to it, and uh, and it got cancelled. And then uh, the UFC made like a fight island, but I still weren't allowed in a gym. So to get ready for like the biggest fight of my life, I was just doing ten k's and hitting a bag in my back garden, or doing like illegal pad work in my coach's backyard. Do you know it was like it's mad. So these days when I absolutely have got no legs to walk the gym. And to go and lift the weight, I still just have to think how thankful I am that I'm able to go into such a good university, <coughs> Liverpool John Moores, <laughs> and, um, and go and lift weights there. James was actually going to bring that up. So, 
He was going to say it as well, weren't you, James? <laughs> Liverpool John I re- I, I'll rob all your questions because <laughs> I get asked them all the time, so I know what to say. <laughs> no, that's a good plug, Molly, to start with. Um, yeah, m- maybe we will start there with the role of sports science in your career, especially in the last couple of years. You've obviously been working with Carl Evans and the guys at John Moore's, but how would you say that sports science has impacted your career in the last two years compared to your career before that? So... I used to play professional football and I come from amateur boxing. So it was a heavy, heavy, like running based um, sports, you know? So I got to the UFC to the elite level through just being a scouser, really like literally just being game. And what's being like, a scouser mean? <laughs> just being just, a scouser. You just, know? Be, just, just like giving a hundred percent to everything you do. I'm probably not being the most um, scientific or a diet for me would be back when I was little, uh, me nana make me tuna pasta, like with all the mayo, or here's a jack of potato cheese and beans. And beans. <laughs> yeah. Classic. So, or, yeah, so like a bit ill-informed, but because it was homemade, it was all good. No, but like running myself into the ground, overtraining, overloaded, constantly just like, my body would have been in a state of just what's that called when you when you've overtrained and your cortisol levels are through the roof and you're stressed and you, my hormones were so imbalanced because I was just everywhere and I got it like I got to the the top of the top in the UFC just off heart and just having a go and then when I got into the UFC I lost my debut I took a fight on five weeks notice with thirty five pounds to lose and. Um, done it the most educated way I knew which wasn't very educated but still I'd got there you know I'd won a world title I'd done all kinds just off being a scouser um but then I knew Carl from my football days and I actually graduated from John Moore so I was always aware of the prestige that like the sports science law had do you know what I mean and like always seeing the football games at England were always there testing and all the boxers was there and MMA is only like it's only really 27 years old within the UFC so it's still so young and and it's just I'd literally say with what Carl has done and the UFCPI in Las Vegas and all the testing now they've got a base for everything I feel and like this is now like the new norm but without going too off topic, 2019, after me lost, Carl approached me and was like, I want to help you. So anyway, I'd done like 14 weeks with him. First time in my life, I'd had like a DEXA scan, an RMR. I'd went on the RMR machine, which is like the rest of the metabolic machine. The VO2 max thing, like I'd always seen people spewing the ring on it. And I was like, I want to have a go. And then when I had a go, I was like, I'm never having yeah. a go. It's horrible, isn't it? <laughs> it's disgusting. I think, James, you've even been in one of mine before when I've been having it. Um, yeah. But I just put, like, gangster music on and just have it, like, singing down the thing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was like, I literally felt like I'd hit the jackpot. Like, my mental health was absolutely in the bin from losing the biggest fight of my life. But the sports science is what really brought me back. And um, so... Guys, normally not being informed, I would used to cut fight week 14 pounds in fluid, right? So I was like a skinny, fat little thing. 
And if you'd see me, you still think, oh, she's in good nick here. And then when it was UFC London, I had made weight the night before without a bath, without resulting in any, I hadn't cut any weight, I hadn't cut any water. And it was a, a credit to, to Carl and all that John Moores by what he was able to do with me. And, and also a credit to myself to listening, to doing exactly what I was told, to not deviate into like, not even having a Pepsi Max sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, no, I'm on this. This is exactly what I need to do. And then I knew I'd got to the highest level without sports science. And then when I won, it was like me fitness, me stamina that carried me through that, to get that win. And then I thought, right, here we can go. So, yeah, it changed my life in a positive, amazing way. And then I do feel as if when I didn't have the sports science, when we was on COVID, and other countries still did, I really suffered the consequence of it. Especially when you put in all that energy and effort in, and like you said, giving it everything, the, the scouse way, the grit of determination, and then there's something that you could bring into your fight game, which is going to... Yeah, they give me like another yeah. 20%. Like, I'm all heart, so I'm like, my fa- family's Irish, but like we fight like we're Mexican, if you know what I mean. Like, you just stand there, don't take a backward step, and it's like... It's a privilege to fight. It's not a right. Do you know what I mean? So you need to earn that privilege when you're in there. And yeah, just give everything you've got, really. Mm. You know, when you were saying at the very beginning, just then about like, what is it called when you, you know, you're in deficit and you're all over the place and stuff. We actually did an episode on that. So James, do you want to just pick up on that? Because that's reds, right? But then... You were reds. saying reds. I don't get that anymore, love. Yeah, exactly. Sure yeah. <laughs> so I then do I was going to say, James told me that over the monitoring over the last year or two, you're so consistent and you don't get any of that. Yeah. No, well, that's, that's going back to episode one, Charlie, wasn't it actually, when we talked about Reds? And thankfully, what Molly has been able to do with Carl and the sports science guys at John Moores is, is periodize her training, periodize her nutritional intake. And we've collected so much data over the last two years, which hopefully we'll publish soon, um, but pretty much showing that you can minimize all those signs of reds. You can maintain your menstrual function just by following like a periodized approach. Whereas is in the combat sports and like boxing and MMA, typically the approach is you go on a real extreme diet, eat the same thing every day for 10 weeks. And then of course you crash. And what, what fighters are doing differently now, and this is the theme throughout the whole podcast, Charlie, is, is changing what you eat day by day, depending on what your sessions look like. And changing what your sessions look like day by day to give you that rest, give you recovery, and then you go again. And the data that we're, we've got from Molly is, is so impressive. I think it will really inform a lot of what female athletes do in the coming years. Yeah, and I'll just, what I will say is I've just been having this conversation with Carl. I've literally just finished the weights and come out. Like, I've got a whoop band, and I watch, I'm not wearing it now, an I watch and a order ring. And I will have every single one of them on just to see my output throughout the day because I'm now like so focused on the results and how how much I am pushing my body. Like before, if I wasn't in a constant state of, oh, I'm, forgive me French, I didn't think I was training hard enough. But but now I can literally look at like, like today I've done five fives of sparring, five five-minute rounds, and my heart rate for... 17 out of the 25 minutes was in like the 188 to 193. So that's like 90% to 100% of what I can give. And then it was like, 
normally I would do six three-minute sprints on a Tuesday. But I changed it to 10 one-minute ones, which would be my second sprint session because I'd been too much in that zone and I needed to drop down a bit, you know what I mean? So it is being so informed. That is absolutely... But then you start thinking, well, am I working hard enough? Because I used to always be in bits. But that's because we was going in a prehistoric age where you think you had to headbutt a wall and run through a wall to like to be great. How much has it been to change that mentality? How, how have you dealt with that? Because I think so many people can relate to that. Um, you know, even myself, like I've definitely got that mentality where I feel like, oh, if you feel okay, it's like, oh, well, have I done enough? How have you changed that? And how to give you the confidence to go into a fight without knowing, with knowing that you don't have to do that? Lazy people think they've done enough. Successful people never think they've done enough. So no matter how much I've worked, it will never be enough. And I'm a perfectionist. I used to overtrain so much. And I had one fight, me and Carl went to Greenville, South Carolina. And I mean, I was like five to one underdog. And I trained, done more than I'd ever done before. And I was literally sat there with my hands in my head, like nearly crying, like I haven't done enough. And he literally just showed me everything that I had done. In the last three months, I thought, oh, hell. Like the amount of tons that I had lifted and the amount of miles I had run and the calories I had burned, I thought, oh, I have. So I actually have to have it in front of me what I've done. Every session accounted for, because if I don't feel like I've worked hard enough, then it actually really, really gets under my skin. But when it is fight week, I do just look at that stuff and I'm like, we're all right. We're all right, do you know what I mean? But, like, I don't know, it's quite different when you fight. It's like the closest thing I could do as an analogy is, do you know when um, Marcus Rashford was taking a, free, a penalty the other week and you just seen him and the goalie and you seen all the fans behind and you could literally, you was like, oh, that's what it's like when you're in the UFC cage. I'm telling you now, it's just you and that other person and all the pressure's there and, like, the last thing you want in the back of your mind is, have I worked hard enough? But then when I look at what I've done, I'm like, of course you have, of course you have. Just on that then, can you describe to us, I know that's a really great analogy because I think so many of us know what that felt like when we watched the penalties and what, what you know Mac- Marcus Ratchford and the other guys must have gone through. Can you describe to us what goes through your mind when you first get in the octagon, like, what can you hear if you can't hear anything? What do you smell? Like, what is there anything you say to yourself? Is it, can you try and describe it or is it just a feeling that's just. No, oh, of course, yeah. Um, it's absolutely disgusting, child. And why <laughs> we do it, I'll never know. But we do. It's to be the best, you know. I feel as if it's Christmas Day and this is going to sound weird, right? But I'll go to sleep and I like. We are always fortunate enough to be on the road now. So it's not just in the sports hall. It's not just in Liverpool, in London. We're all, we're global now. So first of all, I'll, I'll kick off everyone out that out of my room the night before and I'll make sure that I stay on my own just so I get a decent sleep. Because I think sleep is obviously vital when you've gone through, even though I don't cut major weight anymore, we still, like, the week you're still depleted and you've still cut about six pounds that week anyway. So you re- reload and you've ate all your food and you get into this carb coma. So you're just like, you're gone, right? You, it's like 
I'll go Instagram live and have my first carb. I'm having like peanut butter on a bagel and, and like jam. I'm just like, oh my God. <laughs> and so um, yeah, it's amazing. And then I'll wake up on that fight morning and I'll always just put like um, Shaka Khan, I'm every woman on or James Brown, is it the boss? And um, I'm just like floating around my room and then I have a little look in the mirror and see if I've still got abs because they, they go. <laughs> And I'm flying, I'm FaceTiming everyone because I feel like I'm a working class hero and I feel like I live my city's dream and I have a big responsibility to uphold when I'm fighting and to bring home the bacon. And even if even if I lose, I have to I have to go out honourably and all guns swinging. So I get the good vibes off everyone. I'm ringing everyone else and... I'm convincing them that I'm going to win when in my head I'm still like into, like I'm battling myself. Am I going to win? Am I not? And then it's, you get a knock on the door. Meatball, right, we're leaving two hours and you're like, oh. <laughs> and then I'm like, Phew. so then I normally go for a little walk and go and get a coffee and listen to really, really good, like Eric the Preacher, you know, like good motivational stuff or I'll listen to a Kobe Bryant monologue or just like the best to have done it a lot of Serena Williams will be playing that day and um, then we get ready and in the UFC now it's like all the gear so it's like our names like in MMA you don't really get to compete for your country so I was never lucky enough to get a cap or a vest or whatever but when you've got them little gloves that says UFC you can't buy them and when you've got that kit that's got like your country badge and your name it's the closest thing that I can do to represent my country. So we're all walking to the to the bus and then we get on and I've just got my headphones in and I'm just trying to be as calm as possible. But I am like an ADHD child who's had all the blue smarties. So I'm like that. And then we get to the arena and then I feel sick and I feel like there's still time to blag an injury. But then you're thinking... Now I'm absolutely going to fill this girl in. Like, I'm absolutely going to destroy it. I'm thinking, my mind coach will always tell me, 15 minutes post-fight, where are you going to be? So then I have to take myself there. So I can't be worrying about what's going to happen and the adversity I'm going to face in the cage because my imagery work that I do is me walking to the cage, going the worst-case scenario every way I can go, but I still come out the other end and I've won and my hands are up and then... I'm getting bladdered in the press room and that's what I always envisage. And then we get to the changing rooms and I'm a creature of comfort. So it's like I put my flag out, my St. George's flag. Then I put the Everton flag because I'm massive blue. and just says nil satis nisi optimum on it, which means nothing but the best is good enough. And when you're in the UFC, that's exactly like it is what it says on the tin. And then I put my little crystals everywhere and a picture of my mum and my dad. And then I go, right, lads, let them go. And I put the music on, gangster rap. Yeah, what's this music this time? Um, Not Shaka Khan anymore. No, it's changed. Well, to be honest, when I'm getting my hands wrapped, it's like Elton John. Really? And then, and then we go to Freddie Mercury. I'm still standing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course. And then we go to Freddie Mercury and I'm like, another one, bags of dust. And then it's like Stormzy, Dave, like grime, or like 1990s Dre, Eminem, that kind of vibe. And then I'm just, I don't think I haven't got time to feel for that 45 minutes getting ready. And it's like really surreal moment of like, you feel so sick 
it's like you just I can't put into words how disgusting this feeling is and this is the moment that you've really got to start lying to yourself and then I walked down to the arena to the runway and then I always say I'm too fast I'm too strong I'm too good I'm successful beyond measure and that's my mantra mantra I'm too fast I'm too strong I'm too good and then my song comes on and then the meatball comes out and then it's like that yeah effing and blind and on my way because I'm hyping myself up because the adrenaline dump has took my legs from me and I'm like that <gasps> and then when I get in there I just look at the girl and I, I scream at them this is my f-ing house you're in my house and then I just don't break I'm sure you've ever heard the Mike Tyson talk when he's like I just watch my opponent the eyes the eyes the eyes the eyes you don't take your eyes away from your opponent and I wait for them to break and then I impose me will, punch the red in, and then normally come away with the win. But it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. We've, we realised today. I'm like captivated. I feel like I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. We've, we realised today I've only lost to drugs cheats who took a ban. Really? So, like, I'm like, I'm cool with that. Do you know what I mean? You're undefeated then. Technically, yeah. you're undefeated. Undefeated Mom. in the streets anyway, James. <laughs> yeah. Because you've just come off the back of, of two losses two yeah it's foreign to like it's foreign it's, yeah. I've had to go away and work a lot on me um, on the mental side but when you leave no stone unturned you can walk away with a loss a lot more easier the first one I lost I didn't fight for 11 months after that and I was like suicidal thoughts absolutely having to speak to people because no one teaches you how to lose and there's no safeguarding there for you in any sport, really, to be like, it's all right, on to the next one. Do you know what I mean? But, yeah, the girls have took bands who I've lost to on the back of, and the only way, the ways in which I was beat was, like, being stalled. So an analogy for footballers is it's like you've got you've won away at home in a Champions League semi-final 1-0. You come back, you play in Barcelona, you just put 11 men behind the ball and you just sit there. Do you know what I mean? You just defend, defend, defend. You're not really countering, you're not really looking for anything. It's like, no, we're just going to hold on to the 1-0 away win. And the last two people I've fought, it's been that. They've just held me against the wall and implemented a game plan, which, like, hats off to them. Congratulations, you've absolutely kept me in a box. But all I have done since February 7th is be put in a box now do you know what I mean so it's like right it's not even going there because I'm just going to punch the face clean off you before it gets there or take you down and punch your, punch your head in yeah so they've almost like basically stopped you from playing they've just like shut the door on you yeah and it's yeah. it's like I'm what I was 13 fights in to I had three amateur fights like boxers and that have like 80 100 amateur fights before they come to professional like I had to lean on the road because like, I just had to, do you know what I mean? Because of my sport and backgrounds and football and boxing, no one wanted to fight me. So I was just like, right, I'll go on the road, do you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, it was just a lot to learn. But I've fought every style now which would cause me that issue. So my manager was like, well, who's left? And that's all you've got to keep doing, who's left? So, And, like, it's good to hear, well, there's so many things... Like one, I love how you talked us through that because I think it's really important 
for people to understand that people like you still get nervous, still get have self-doubts, you still get that sick feeling. Because I think sometimes, you know, we look at, at incredible pe- athletes like yourself and and just knowing that everybody gets that fear, it, I think is is it allows us to be like, oh, okay, you know, I get that and that's okay. And then, you know, I think you brought up a brilliant point about losing and actually there's so much that you've learned from that and it's a really good to hear about your mind space as well um, and where you are now. Yeah, because to be honest, like after the fight, it took a fruit, it, I lost my dad five years ago last week and it was his dream for me to fight in Vegas. So it was really tough to take a loss, to take the L when it's, I'd worked so hard for it. And I took my gloves off. It's like when you play football, you leave your, your boots on the pitch and then go off. And then the comms team was running over to me like, I she retire, blah, blah, blah. And my coach just took the mic and was like, no, she's just left them in there out of respect for her dad, blah, blah, blah. She's not finished. And I was like, I fucking am finished. I'm not doing it anymore. Out of pure frustration. And then I sat there and I was like, who am I if I don't come back from adversity? Tell you what, in a career sense, in an academic sense, I've never, ever felt anything like the feeling of losing two things on the bounce. I haven't won since like the 18th of October, 2019. And it's all that's in my head. It's like, it's literally on that board there. Like every day I wake up and I look at it and it tells me what I need to do, my little vision board. And it's just like, oh, I've got to come back. You've got to show everyone how it's done, haven't you, Charles? I think you've got loads of good advice there, Molly. But for me, one of the best bits of advice you said, and, and we often use this with lots of athletes in different sports, is you can't always control winning or losing. You, you don't know if you're going to win or lose or not because you can't control it. But what you did say was that as long as you can look back and know that you've done everything you could in the build-up. And I think once a lot of athletes get their head around that fact, they tend to cope better with losing because they know that they've given everything they could. And it's almost like you've defined winning by what you've done before, as opposed to what happens in the cage. Yeah, I feel like strikers within MMA, when they take the L, it's like, oh my God, because we wouldn't be able to compete as often as grappling. Grapp- like wrestlers, jiu-jitsu fighters, judokas, they can compete every weekend and they're used to the grind of, all right, well, I'll get back on the bus and I'll fight next week. But for like a boxer or a Thai boxer or a taekwondo person, you're like, whoa, <laughs> I'm never going to be cool with that, you know what I mean? But you're right, James, as long as you can hold your hands up, like I've lost, but it's like learning to deal with shame. Like I have... Like shame is attached to losing for me, so it's trying. I don't want to change that either in my mind because I'm not. I'm never going to be okay with losing. Do you know what I mean? Coping with it's a bit different, but like when I lost my first fight, I ever lost at the UFC Liverpool, and then that last one in Vegas. Oh my god! It was like hello darkness, my old friend. I was like, where's the pizza and chicken wings? <laughs> no. No, come on. You, like you said, it's about, if, like when you said, hang on a second, if I can't come back from adversity, you know, you were saying like, what's got you so far is being that is being a scouser. Scouser, <laughs> yeah. with yeah. that grit. And it is about adversity and the fact that that's where champions are made, right? It's not, it's not through the good days. It's through 
the bad days to come back and do what you're about to do. Um, I want to actually go a little bit back because um, we kind of started where you are now. But you said that you um, played football at a really high level. You were a footballer and a boxer as well. How did it come to MMA originally? How did you come to MMA or combat sports? Martial arts was in me from like the age of 10. Like I moved to a place called Bournemouth at 10 to like 16. And that was like, imagine being a scouser down south in like the late 90s. Do you know what I mean? It was just, oh my God. In a seaside town. Oh my God. I'd be like a kid, like at the bus stop, like, hi, speaking to an old woman and she's like putting her bags away. I thought, wow. But um, I got bullied so bad and I was, like, not malnourished, but I was so little, guys. Like, it's literally the weights that have filled me out because I was just, I was, like, 11 and 24 kilo. Do you know what I mean? I was, like, I went to secondary school. I was four foot eight. Yeah, I started martial arts as a form of defence and dif- discipline, and I started with karate and Thai boxing, and that's where my combat sport started. But it's very traditional, the boxing gyms wouldn't let me in because they wouldn't let girls fight. This is like Katie Taylor era when she was having to wear like a hat and pretend she was a lad and that. And um, I don't. I, re- I got really, really, really good discipline through that. And then I started playing football at the age of 14. I got picked up by a- AFC Bournemouth and then Liverpool scouted me. I was like, I was in Devon on a holiday and um, the Liverpool scout heard my accent and all cousins and he was like we're having trials next week come down so I literally finished my GCSEs on the Friday said to me mum on the on the Friday I'm going to stay with me nan for the summer holidays and just never came back I just never went back and um, I got signed for Liverpool and then whilst playing football my mum was like well you need you need a job and you need to go to college so at this point the course I was doing at Liverpool Community College was sport and recreation and the sporting side was boxing. And so I was learning to teach, I was learning to coach through through boxing while still playing football, while still learning. And I was working at Subway, actually. This is where the Meatball Molly's <laughs> name comes from. So is it basically from the Meatball Sub? No, I just used to go into training stinking of meatballs and everyone was like, <laughs> you stink of meatballs. And it's, it's literally as simple as that. But it wasn't even meatballs, love. It was herb and cheese bread. <laughs> <laughs> it don't quite sound as good though, does it? No, and oh, I was like, cheese bread. <laughs> no, I was just said you should all skip me for smelling, but you all want free scram when you come in. Yeah, of course. So, like everyone wants a free Southwest sauce, so leave me alone. Anyway, so then I got injured in football, right? So my boxing, I won the national title in boxing, and then my weight category didn't get added to the Olympic Games, so I was fuming because it was only three weight categories, wasn't it? Yeah, when the when it came on the Olympics, yeah, it was like fifty one and sixty. Now I fight at fifty six, and even at fifty six, people have ten inches on me, so there's just no chance that I'm. I was hitting either one, you know. I was like the little one percent that's just got done over with it. So I was fuming. Did I think the world owed me something? Oh yes, I did. Tore the ligaments in my ankle, couldn't play football anymore. So then I was like, God, what do we do? So then I went to uh, uni. And whilst at uni, I was working in Subway in a nightclub called Passion. James, not even sure if you've been there, but you probably have. Yeah. By the G bar. By the G bar and that, yeah. So I used to work in there, 12 till 6, it's open, guys. So if you could imagine the states we used to see, 12 at night till 6 in the morning rough and then the doorman used to do MMA 
and they was like, Mal, come down and move this gear around with, with your hands. So I went down and I'm just like, think I'm the cock of the gym because no one's got hands like me because everyone's a grappler. And I thought, oh, it's rubbish that I'm not even into it. Two years later, I'm on a night out, get sent home because I'm rotten drunk. It's like five in the morning, put the telly on, runs around, he's on the telly, wins the inaugural UFC bantamweight title, gets paid the mill for it. And I was like, Pfft. I'm not going to be a teacher. I'm going to go and do this. So then that was the Sunday at five in the morning, Charlie. I only emailed my now coach, Paul Rimmer. Hey, I want to be like that Ronda Rousey. I want to be the next big thing, blah, blah, blah. The next day goes into uni on the Monday and I'm like, I'm not coming back in, in the middle of writing the dissertation. I'm not coming back. going to go and do MMA. And he was like, thought you boxed. I was like, no, I'm doing MMA now. Uh, Louise Williams, she was a sports business, but now I think she's just in business. But anyway, she was based at Iron Marsh and she went, how long have you been doing this for? I said, I'm starting tonight. She went, are you joking? I went, no, I've just got this feeling, Lou. And she was like, oh my God, what is this kid up to? Anyway, went to the gym, walked in and that was me. It was love at first punch and first takedown. And, um, and I was 23 the day I started. And the day I started, five years to that day, I won a world title and headlined the Echo Arena in Liverpool. So it was like, it was quick, do you know what I mean? But I just, do you know when people know, like, they know, don't they? Like that Taekwondo girl who just won silver, she literally just watched the last games, didn't she? And she went, I'm going to go and do that. Yeah. Done it. Yeah. Because you are, like, a massive inspiration, like, for, for British women in, you know, combat, but also I think just in general, um, you know, for younger girls and, and, I don't know, men maybe as well. What's it been like? to kind of enter what hopefully was and isn't now a predominantly male sport. Boxing was hard. Football was hard because it was like girls playing football. So I just developed little meatball syndrome. Do you know what I mean? I was just like, I was really insecure and quiet as a kid because of moving down south and getting bullied. And then, so I just had to start imposing me will. And when people was like, you're not coming in. I'll tell you this, 2002, I think Kelly Holm won the 1,500-metre first, or I'm not sure if it was the 800-metre. I watched that and walked around to the boxing gym two roads away because of what she had just done and was like, can I train? And they went, no. So I literally stood outside for two weeks every day until they let me in. And that's the kind of thing that I had to start doing. But when I came over to MMA, the culture's different, so it was just accepting. Like, it doesn't matter what race you are, what gender you are, what sexuality you are how much money you have, it is like we are one. Like once you're on the mat, it's cool, do you know what I mean? Because it's a new sport, it's inclusive for all. It doesn't have that like kind of old um, misogynistic history. Yeah, yeah. And because fair enough, the men have been doing it for 19 years before women had had a go at it. But it's like I get paid the same. The pay bracket and pay scheme is exactly the same for me as it is for any man. Do you know what I mean? And even when I was in Cage Warriors before the UFC, I was getting paid more than most males because of my way from what I brought. Because it went, it literally went like Paddy the Body, Chris Fishgold, me, then Conor McGregor. Like that was the pay. Do you know what I mean? 
obviously because of Connor, I got paid more. Like he's the one, who, him and Ronda Rousey was like proper globalized what we've done, and because of them we are. Do you know what I mean? But it's not our predecessors like Layla Ali, like Muhammad Ali's daughter, or you've got a uh, Jane Couch who's a, a female boxer. Like they, yeah, I would say like the originals. Yeah, she, like I yeah. say like have you seen The Shining when? Johnny's like gets the axe and he's knocking the axe down and then he goes, here's Johnny. Like, I feel like they've done that. They've kicked the door, like made it a bit open. Then me, you like Sabianca, your Tasha Jonas's, your Katie Taylor's, your Terry Harper's, your Savannah Marshall's, your Chantal Cameron's. Like, I'm going and going and going now. Like, we're the generation that's put the door in and now the next generation's coming through and they will have equality down the line. The blueprints there, and I'm cool with being that one. I'm cool with just missing it being my time and maybe not earning what I deserve to have earned. Do you know what I mean? Because ultimately, like my legacy means more to me than money. I think it shows though, Molly, how far female sport has come. Because the fact that you said you had to almost beg to get in the gym 20 years ago, nowadays gyms are begging for females to come into the gym to grow the sport. So it's I think it's people like you that's really grew female sport i never attest to that and say oh yeah definitely but what i will say is when i would be on a fight card with me and paddy say when i was on the come up and before i'd won the world title paddy would headline i'd be on the main card open the main card and it was women and kids and i was like like actual like i changed the demographic of paddy changed it so that kids can come to fights I changed it so women and daughters now come to fight. And then when we have the kids' class the Monday after we fight or the Wednesday, the class was getting 80% girls and then 20% lads because the, the influx was big. And then you always have that thing with females in sport. And when the puberty comes and when a certain time comes, it's uncomfortable for girls. And they're at an age where it's really, your boobs are in someone's face or a lad's sitting on your head and you don't think about anything other than that you're fighting and trying to win. But it can be a really awkward time. And, like, say if it's at that time of the month for me, to have to train and do certain stuff with males sometimes can be really, like, oh, I don't really I don't really want to do that. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Um, so I understand how adolescent females will feel coming up. But the good thing is the retention rate is a lot more higher than what it would be. Because, obviously, we'll have Wimbledon mania and Olympic mania where they all, oh, I want to have a go, I want to have a go. That's probably what, like, me and him are doing in the city. Do you know what I mean? And then you do get people stay on and, do you know, like, I'll go to shows and do meet and greets for nothing or say, I'll put on, I'm going to be at the show today. If anyone wants a coffee, I'll be in this hotel. And I can't tell you how many parents bring their kids or I'll sit down and have these conversations with these kinds of people. And then when you get kids coming over to you, you've got tops made that's saying Meatball Maria or something, do you know, like, mini meatball or they, they're they thinking about having fight names that like is all about me it blows your mind because you think oh my god this That's was me. never in my yeah. this was yeah. never in my dreams do you know what I mean yeah look I know from being in and around the city Molly that people go to the shows because you're headlining as not because you're a female because it's it's Molly McCann headlining and the thing with me is I fight like a man and I'm treated the same as a man, and I treat like it's a man's sport, it's a man's world. So like you get on with it, you know what I mean? And 
because I'm respected the same way as men are because I fight the same style. But do you think, I want to ask you a question on that because what's that mean? Like what's fighting like a woman and fighting like a man? Because like what's, you're a woman fighting like a, like a woman to me. Without sounding arrogant, I'm probably more technical than most male MMA fighters striking. So when people learn MMA from scratch, they don't have a striking base. So their style can look not nice to watch. Um, you're just like, oh, are you taking them to the floor again? Yeah, you know yeah it's I mean? just on the floor for too yeah, long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I'm somebody yeah. who likes to watch it not on the floor. <laughs> yeah, so then you have someone like me who never really even got pads off a coach for seven years of going in a gym. Who is that technical? Because they've looked in a mirror for 10,000 rounds doing the same repetition of the same shot. That when I when I go, I would get finishes like what a man would do. And you wouldn't normally see that with women. So like it opened people's minds. Do you know what I mean? And then now you watch your Terry Harper or your Shannon Courtney's or your Katie Taylor's or your Tasha Jonas's. We all it's not called female MMA fighter, or you wouldn't say a women's boxing fight. We ju- it's just a fight now. So we've gained the respect, do you know what I mean, through fighting with ferocity and not backing down because you see some men shy away in certain situations, Charlie. They'll take a hit and be like, oh, not today. But in, in females, because it's not a given, we have to give more. Yeah, I agree. And I think I wanted, I was just wanted to expand on that because I think there's that negative connotation in there about like, oh, well, what a woman fights like, but you're a woman and you've mentioned so many amazing names with Katie Taylor, you know, Savannah Marshall and their women who fight incredibly well. So I suppose I just wanted to show that women can fight and it's not and like... It's, yeah, and yeah. you know what's funny? Like the girls will get used as an example for people to fight like us. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, Fight more like a girl. Like people wouldn't say fight like a you fight like a girl anymore. That's no, a, exactly that's terminology yeah. that's being ended. Exactly. Do you know what I mean? Fight Which is more like, like yeah, 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 just yeah. fight. Yeah. yeah. Molly, like, there's so much we kind of want to talk to you about, but I also want to touch upon because you've got a book called um, Be True to You. Um, so oh my god, guys, look. I haven't got so the good. I haven't got the book here, but this is the oh. original front cover. It's to everyone listening, you're gonna have to just go and buy it. Yeah. So basically <laughs> for those listening, like and can't see Molly's held up a, a picture, one of the original, it's the original like, cartoon avatar version, of me, yeah, avatar yeah. of you. And it's about young children to understand their sexuality. What was it like for you coming out in sport? Because I have heard that for you, it was sport was the safe space, it, so it actually was a good, you know, good place for you to. Yeah, I mean, through sport, I'd say MMA was the safe space. Through sport and through ill education, culture and religion, it weren't something I ever thought I could even go down. Like I didn't I'm 31, I didn't actively honestly accept it in myself and come out till I was 25. And just through being teased, tormented, um ridiculed for being different to be honest like I was just I just wanted to be successful in sport but because of that I was called 
I hate the word, the D-Y-K-E. I absolutely hate it and can't say it. It's like swearing to me. But I was gay was used as a negative term towards me. So I shut off from it. Albeit like we didn't have any in the family, either side. Big Irish Catholic family, big no-no. Not okay. However, our family was accepting of others and never placed judgment on anyone else. And and was only really like torment me, tease me, like everyone had to skit growing up, but that was mine. But I'm this soft, sensitive kid who was like bullied about everything, where I'm from, who I am, what I do. It was just like, I weren't safe nowhere. The family life I had growing up, I just was never, I was never in a safe space. Yeah, it was ever. tough, wasn't it for you? Yeah, yeah. Like, addict parents who was like alcoholics or drug addicts, I was just like, passed from pillar to post and one family member would come and save me and then I'd be safe there and then get moved on. You're probably always in like hypervigilant fight and flight. Yeah. Not knowing. Oh, like, yeah. And it was only growing up now through working through my PTSD and through trauma and all this kind of stuff that I now realised, oh my God, I absolutely went through so much. And no wonder I wasn't able to be, I didn't even know who I was anyway. I didn't even know. And then it wasn't like at uni, like I was coming into contact with a lot more gay people and they'd put it on me and I weren't cool with it. I just weren't. And then it was, it was like 24, 25 when I actively got with a, an ex-GB athlete. I was in MMA and I was safe and I was I was more aware of who I was and they helped me through and transition and I was like, oh my God, that was like the biggest fight of my life that I never knew about other than fighting for everything else. So when I lost the fight in February, got a new man coach and it was like, what can I do for my community? And I coach in my community, the kids. So that's what I do for my, where I live community. But what else can I do for the LGBTQ plus community? And I thought, let me see if I can use me, me status for a positive something positive like with the BLM stuff last year I was like very active and I was an ally for that and then I fought in Abu Dhabi and like I was told I can't I can't kind of express a bit who I am and am I okay fighting there blah 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 and forth I always said I'd never fight in a in a country that would like murder someone for being gay but I thought we're in it we are, are the snowflake generation right now, but we're a generation where we need to stand up for what we believe in, do you know what I mean? So I was like, I'm going to Abu Dhabi, I'm doing it. And then the book was really a massive thing because it was like reliving, coming out with every interview I've had to do. So it was like proper, when the book came out, it was like, it was really heavy because I had to go and do massive interviews with ESPN and Joe and, like Disney was getting involved in the BBC and I was like, oh God, this is, I've got to be okay with it. But when writing the book, it was like, it's written for young children. It's my life story about me coming out and how I was just never felt to feel okay. But how being different is always okay and you're always enough. And I was trying to make it more relatable to life also at present where like kids, they read like cabbage with the COVID and like, and just no one's secure and who they are with social media. And the one regret that I have in life is that I weren't true to myself from a younger age. And the second to come out, it was absolutely fine. Like the whole of the world was like, 
we're more shocked you brought your fella home than what we're having this conversation. But I'm like, they're like, I'm so sorry. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like, why should people have to come out and have this big... Like, do you know how many people have took accountability? The people who've read that book and know, oh my God, I have absolutely ridiculed you thinking it was just a laugh. And it's been the most traumatic thing that you've ever had to go through. And just for someone to take accountability for it was like, it's why you do it. Do you know what I mean? And then at the back of the book, I left like four pages open where it says, here's space for you to tell your story. And then a four for kids. The amount of parents I get who message me saying, I think my daughter's gay or I think my son's gay and they fight. How did you deal with it? Blah, blah, blah. Like, I know I have to take every time. I, I have to have to take the time to respond to every one of them messages. And that's what the book was for. Do you know what I mean? It's a coming out aid. If a teacher, a coach, a parent, a social worker might have an inkling, then that book will work. And I can't tell you how many messages I've had where they've sent me pictures of the of someone coming out or that's give them the confidence to then come out. Like it's done its purpose and like predominantly most of the money goes back to Stonewall Charity, an ambassador that I'm an ambassador for that charity. The money goes back to them. Like, I don't see it. Do you know what I mean? It covers the cost of the printing and then goes back to them. So it's bigger than me. Do you know what I mean? I guess that's probably one of your biggest achievements then, Molly, so far in your career, do you think, going through all that experience and, and sharing your story like this? Um, there's been a lot of milestones that no one from my area is supposed to have ever achieved. Do you know what I mean? Like, no one's supposed to get a degree coming from Norris Green or coming through what I've come through playing to the levels I've played or competed I, I always would seem like them accomplishments was never enough and then it was the academic it was getting the degree and it was releasing the book that meant the world to me and that like my family was probably the older generation was more proud of the academic side and the younger generation was more proud of like the accolades that came with fighting and football but to sit down with me nan and read this book I cried my eyes out because I didn't realise the impact it had had. Oh, God. I didn't realise what it had done. Do you know what I mean? And the day it came out, I literally walked around Liverpool and just so many people was just sending me the picture of buying the book. And it, it got to number two in the chart on Amazon. There was no, like, major press release or there was no... I didn't have time to focus on releasing the book because I've got so much going on with fighting that it was like a passion project, but for how well it's done without the backing of a major publisher, like I self-published it through Amazon, do you know what I mean? So it was just, it's like anything I've done in my life. If I've just felt it, I've just rocked with it and it's half done all right. <laughs> like I always think if I had gone into business, I'd, I'd be a millionaire, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I've chose the hardest journey <laughs> ever to go through with not much financial gain but like the fulfillment I am I live here smiling living my best life every day do you know what I mean that's the main thing in it and I think it's really moving like we I really appreciate you kind of sharing with us as well because any I think anybody listening can see and you were saying about your book they can see their own story within yourself and I think that's what's so incredibly powerful and you allow that you allow everybody else's story and identity by sharing your own. Yeah, I've tried to be, how do you be different in a world full of like so much different, do you know what I mean? I'm, all I've tried to just be is 
candid and honest and true. So my dark days and the best days, you will literally feel it with me. And I like to bring every single person on the journey because why shouldn't everyone see everything that you're going through? Do you know what I mean? And then and then you're not just in the public eye, just only winning. And then everyone hates you. Like when people lose in this city, the, the city can turn on you if you're a bit of a mouth. But when I lose, I get more fans and more respect. So I always think that's like the power, the measure of a woman, or the measure of a man is the saying, isn't it? Like, yeah. Well, that's because, you know, so many people go through those dark days as well. And to know that somebody like you do, do, I think it's just relatable. And then that's when that empathy comes in play. And Molly, I realise that we've kept you for a long time. You're probably starving because you just got back from training. Yeah, but, but- do you know what I've done? <laughs> I had a soaring bread on the way home because I thought, I know I was thinking, oh, I'm going to be fuming on them. So I made sure, I said, Carl, I've, I'm going to have to go and have this soaring, <laughs> lads, yeah. He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm not having boiled eggs from Tesco, lads. <laughs> but that's me informed decision. Now, James, back in the day, I'd think, I'll just have a protein bar. And I just, I, I weighed it up. I thought, nah, go on, sorry. I've missed the meal today as well. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I, I can see it, guys. Because yeah. <laughs> when you, like, you're used to starving and starving yourself. But when you do it right, you don't need to starve yourself. But some days I just like to um, to do that. It's so weird. I know. It's like sometimes if I don't need to make weight, I'll eat more to make sure that I do one one bath because that's just like the rite of passage. Before we go, Molly, what we always ask at the very end, like what advice, you could pick anything, like what's the best bit of advice you give to anybody, whether it's to do with combat sport, to do with training, nutrition, or to do with your own identity and being true to yourself. There's a, like, there's a few one-liners that get thrown at you and I just always remember that my mum just would say to me, like, don't give in before the miracle's about to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, do not give in before the miracle's about to happen. And then the one that I would say, and, like, I am stereotypically not supposed to be here doing what I'm doing. I grew up surrounded by a lot and I looked at what people was doing and how they was making money and I just thought, am I being like this? I'm not. So you don't have to be the product of your environment. You can go away and make your new environment and then be that person. Do you know what I mean? And I just think anything you put your mind to and you you absolutely give your all to, it, it will happen. Like if anyone listening to this Googles Meatball Molly's eye, right? You're gonna see I had a broken orbital, I fought for whole five minutes with one eye, knowing the rest of my life. What happened in that round decided where my career was going and I couldn't give in and I had to go through hell and back to get to the other side. And um, that's what I did. I didn't give up. Everyone said I couldn't do it. I did. And anyone listening, you can go and do that yourself. After looking at the state of your eye after that. Listen, I looked, I couldn't, I couldn't see. Right, Charlie, if you watch the fight back, the, the doctor comes in with 50 seconds to go. Why he's let me fight for four minutes with one eye? Like, that's like a fight over. And he's trying to open my eye and, and he's like, can you see? I'm like, yeah, three fingers, absolute shot in the dark guess, you know what I mean? And he's like, right, go on then. I'm like that. So I just look at the crowds and I go like that, she's getting it. And just absolute hard war, hard war, do you know what I mean? And just pushed on. Everyone loves the underdogs, don't they? So just live the dream with it, yeah. 
What an incredible conversation with Molly. Just an amazing woman, so inspirational. I feel like, I know I say this quite a lot, but I feel like we could have just gone on forever with her. <laughs> Couldn't we? Um, in a moment's time, I do want to get your thoughts from the entire season as well, James, because sadly this is our last episode. Oh. But first, what what did you think of Molly? And I mean, I, she she kind of touched a little bit on to, on her background, but I know through she's she's been through so much adversity and trauma when she's younger. And then to be where she is now is just incredible. Yeah, what a great guest to have for our final episode. Um, not only is Molly a great athlete, but just what a great person and so much fun to be around as well. Yeah, she is. Um, I was writing down loads of notes, Charlie, when we were listening to Molly. But I think for me, what really came across was is having the courage to follow what you feel throughout your life. And, and what I mean by that is Molly talked about getting bullied when she lived in Bournemouth. She then moved back to Liverpool. Um, so she built a new life in Liverpool. She then had the courage to go and stand outside a boxing gym for two weeks f- before they would let her in. She then took up football, a new sport. She then decided to take up MMA after watching Ronda Rousey on the television one morning. Um, so a completely new sport. And then, of course, she had the courage later on in life to, to follow her sexuality. And so I think that's just that's a real lesson for anyone listening is having the courage to follow what you feel throughout your life. And it isn't always easy to do that. No, it's not. And I, what I love about Molly so much is she talked about the not easy as well, which I think is really important because a lot of the time we focus on the achievement. You know, you've just rattled through some amazing things she's done, but she also talked about what it's like when she loses. The times she's been, I think she used the phrase when her mental health was in the bin or something along those lines. And I think it was really important to show that side. And also when she described to us going in the ring, how she she felt sick, how she wants to just feign an injury, how she feels that fear. And I think that's incredibly important because I don't know any athlete that's achieved extraordinary things that doesn't feel that fear too. And that to me is really important that we all go, oh, it's okay to feel that fear. Everybody does. Yeah. I think a lot of us in life, Charlie, we we spend a long time trying to work out who we really are. And I think at Molly's stage of her career and her life, she seems to be totally comfortable with who she is. She understands why she feels the way she feels at certain points in time. And and she seems really happy. And and I just thought it was a real refreshing interview and an and inspiring interview to come away with that mindset. I do want to touch upon the sports nutrition side of things as well, because for anybody listening that watches MMA and combat sports, the, the toll that it takes, you know, we can visibly see it a lot of the time. But Molly said the difference for her is the sports nutrition side of things. And she also did mention that she's got a mind coach as well. But can you just give us an idea of of how hard it is and from a sports performance side? Well, yeah, I mean, let's go back to the name, Mixed Martial Arts, because it's it's, um, relying on many disciplines of martial arts. And so Molly has to train for so many disciplines within a given day. Uh, It's the fastest growing sport in the world. More and more people are doing it. Um, And she's right. The toll that it takes on the body is incredible compared to endurance sports, for example. Um, And one of the reasons why we wanted to get Molly on, Charlie, for our last episode was because 
it kind of encapsulates all of the different topics that we've had throughout the 12 episodes because, of course, she has to fuel. She has to manage her weight. She has to get to the correct body composition. She has to hydrate. She has to recover from the soreness that she has every day from grappling and wrestling on the mat. So this is a sport that's really on the off, but make no mistake about it. This is a sport that really takes its toll on your body. Yeah, and I was just thinking about that point you made earlier and when she was talking about watching Ronda Rousey. For anybody that, I don't know, wants to get into things like that, what would you say? Well, I, th- I think watching elite athletes like Ronda Rousey, who's also an inspirational figure, of course, is a great way to get into any sport. Um, and it's not just MMA, it can be any sport. And I would hope that Molly has now inspired people around the northwest of England and beyond to also take up combat sports because you can see what it can do for people, for their mental well-being, for their health and their happiness. And as we mentioned before, throughout this episode on numerous occasions, I think combat sports is a sport that teaches people a lot, a lot about discipline, a lot about focus, a lot about balance, and indeed a lot about well-being. And I think also self-worth. Yeah, for sure. We, we see that in the boxing gyms, don't we? But James, I mean, what a guest to finish on. What an incredibly inspirational figure, even though she didn't like me telling her every two seconds. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about the whole season? What's your thoughts on the guests? I think they've just been incredible and inspirational and just so open. Yeah, we, sh- we should take this opportunity once again, Charlie, to thank all of our guests. Of course, a lot of them have been my friends, but again, I want to thank them all a lot because... We've had some unbelievable guests here. We've had Tour de France champions, Olympic champions, world champions, world record holders, Champions League winners. The list goes on and on. And they've all been open and honest with their careers, the role of sports science, the role of mental health throughout their careers. And of course, let's not forget the experts. We've had some of the best thinkers in the world of sports science who have all had that ability to translate complex information to super simple tips that all of us can take away. Yeah, if you haven't listened to all of the episodes, even if it's maybe a sport that you're not necessarily interested in, go back and have a listen because, you know, as James just said, the expert advice is just so valuable, isn't it? And I think we wouldn't get that access. And like you said, in a really relatable way, where we can all understand it. Um, I wrote some notes of things that I've actively changed some things since we've started this uh, podcast. I wrote some notes on some of my takeaways. Um, One of the big ones being, and you've hammered it home to me quite a few times, James, is fueling depending on what I've got on during the day, the work that I'm actually doing. Because I think one of the things I had a bad habit of doing is just that you know, I'll I'll grab a lot because of the work that I do. So I'll just grab food here and there. But also I'll just fuel the same whether I've got a really hard interval session or a, or I'm running 10 miles or I'm just not doing anything and just working. And so I've changed that and that's actually made a real difference. The other thing as well is like make sure that every session has a purpose because I'm definitely, because I run a lot for my mental health as well, but I do like obviously for strength and performance too. I've changed my training so that I really think, obviously I still go out for a run when I need it for my mental health, but I've tried to think like, what 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 do I want out of this? Even if it's nothing physical, like what do I want out of this? What am I 
going to do? Have I done this like for the last five times I've gone out for a run <laughs> and, and shake it up? So I've tried to do a lot more intervals, try and set a focus for my session rather than just going out for a run. Um, and the other thing is um, actually one of our really recent episodes with Keith where he spoke so much about the difference between, you know, going out for a run um, weight training and then actually like training your ligaments for strength um, so for the last couple of weeks I've just been jumping around <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously I've kind of really switched the, the sessions up um, and the other thing was about weight training and I mean I've always done weight training since I was a teenager but it's just really nice to know that I've been doing the right things and I remember calling my mom and being like you know make sure you're doing the weight training side of things, Pilates. Um, she's actually started a kettlebell class yeah. <laughs> um, because the whole point of making sure that you use weight training as you get older. James, maybe you could sum up like your top five things for us or pinpoint some of the things that I've just talked about. Yeah, well, there's probably a lot more than five, Charlie, to be honest. But, um, look, Ten. <laughs> let's go back to the whole reason why we wanted to do this podcast, which is in the name from Paper to Podium. We wanted to try and illustrate how sports science has supported podium performances and how that um, information can then be used by anyone on a fitness journey. So it's great to hear that you've taken some of those principles and, and you touched on probably the main one, Charlie, which is this concept of nutritional periodization. And that's probably the biggest change that we've seen in the last 10 years in sport and nutrition. And really all that means is rather than a one-size-fits-all approach where we eat the same thing day after day, we simply change it depending on what we're doing. Um, and that theme has come across pretty much on every episode from the athletes and the experts. And it's great to hear that you've, you've taken that up. But, you know, when you, when you reflect back over the last 12 episodes, we've pretty much done a module in sport nutrition because we've covered planning, periodization. We've talked about the macronutrients, carbohydrate, fats, protein. We've talked about hydration. We've then put that into a practical scenario of fueling before, during and afterwards in terms of recovery. We also talked about weight management and the balance between underfueling and and reds and so these 12 episodes really should be supporting all university courses up and down the country yeah just listen to us don't <laughs> worry about those textbooks <laughs> you've got a whole diploma well no not a whole diploma but a module definitely that's what you called it with us so come on give could you can you bullet me a, a five takeaways or is that too hard to do no I'd, I'd probably say well takeaway one is the importance of planning and then from planning, that allows you to then go into periodization, which is takeaway two. And then you just simply break it down into your sessions. And I would always come back to before, during and after. And so if you can do those five things of planning, periodization, before, during and after, you've built your nutrition plan. And it is pretty simple. I know I always go on about this being simple, but it is follow that five-step process and for sure, everyone will make improvements to their own performances. All right. Thank you, James. And I want to thank you as well, because you've been incredible throughout. Also, being somebody who can qualify things and explain it um, and just sum things up for us. So thank you very much. I've learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you for being my <laughs> co-host and keeping me on track. <laughs> Thanks also for listening. We've really appreciated your feedback as well. 
Of course, please do head over to scienceinsport.com and phd.com to learn more about the brands. And last, but by no means least, thank you so much. I know James said it, but thank you to every single one of our guests, the experts and the athletes. We've learned so much and we hope you have too. And more importantly, we hope you're smashing through your PBs, whatever that might look like to you. We'll hopefully see you very soon from myself and James. Goodbye. Goodbye.